All right, let's go to James chapter 4, verse number 13. We're in between our teaching series. We will begin the book of Revelation. It will be either next Wednesday or the following Wednesday. So I want to encourage you to make note of that. So it's either next week or the following week. We'll begin verse by verse in the book of the Revelation. On Sunday mornings, we're going to preach through the seven churches of um, that the letters were written to in the book of Revelation. So we'll do that for seven weeks on Sunday mornings. Then we'll pick up the rest of the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. Um, and that'll take us several months, I'm sure. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but in the meantime, I wanted to bring this lesson tonight from the book of James and familiar verses, but a good reminder for our spiritual lives. And as we've been thinking about, uh, we thought about missions Obviously, we had a great conference. It was a, a blessing to me. I assume it was to you as well. And I always enjoy the panel format and uh, getting a little bit of a personal look and perspective. That's, uh, that's always enjoyable as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about these missionaries and uh, we'll put something together this week and we'll vote on taking the Gerbers on. Um, and then we've got two other missionaries who need to vote on taking on as well, the Wilsons and Lou May uh, is, and his wife. So that's all coming up, but I'm reminded of the, uh, the famous missions quote that only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. I saw another quote this week that somebody had shared from Francis Chan and he said this, he said, it's don't be afraid at failure in life. Be afraid of succeeding in things that don't really matter. That was a good reminder for us. But we come here to James chapter 4, and if you look with me at verse number 13, it says this, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. And would you read the statement with me? Begin, ready? For what is your life? What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good... And doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's an interesting verse right there, isn't it? To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth not, doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's a, that's a, a positive challenge from this, and, and we'll get to that here at the end. But you noticed in the introduction tonight, there's a call to attention. And my, my Bible, I have a edition that is broken into paragraphs, and this section here begins a new, verse number 13 begins a new paragraph. It begins a new thought in the book of James. If, if you study the book of James, there's a lot of hard truth in, in the epistle of James and a lot of uh, challenges for Christians and important truths for them to wrestle with. And, but now he wants to get their attention. And there's actually a series of go-tos, right? In verse number 13, you see go-to, you that say today or tomorrow, the people that have all these plans. Then you look in verse number five, I'm sorry, in chapter number five, and you look at verse number one, there's the statement again. You see it, go to now, you rich men. 
So there's different categories of people that he's trying to get their attention, and he identifies one group. Now that phrase, go to now, it's, it's like come now, or pay attention, or listen up. What I'm about to say is, is important and is worthy of your attention. So go to now, get ready for what I'm about to say. And then he identifies a group of people. He identifies a group of people. Now, if we were in chapter 5, looking at, at uh, verse number 1, go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, etc., etc., that would be easy to identify the group. What group? In chapter 5, he's, he's addressing what group of evil? The rich people. The rich people. But what group of people is he addressing with this go-to now statement? Who is he calling attention to? Who is he, who is he trying to grab by the shoulders and say, hey, you really need to listen to what's about to be said? Who's he addressing? Yeah, he's addressing the people that make this statement, and the statement that they they make, you just read for us, Mike. Um, so how would you describe this group of people that he's trying to get their attention? How, how would they, they make this statement? How would you describe these people? Okay, so they're, they're living for today. How else might you describe them? They, well, they might have an entrepreneurial attitude. That's right. They've got buying and selling. They've got plans. They're planners, so they're living for today. They're planners. What else? Any other words that would describe these people? Okay, merchants. What about their, their mindset, their state of mind? Like, How would you describe that about them? My dad did a little bit with talking about, he gave one description of their state of mind where they're, they're living for today. How, what else? They're independent. Yeah, an independent-minded group of people. Did you say something? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so they're materialistic for sure. What else? There's one big one that... that there's probably a couple different words you could use for it, but there's one aspect here that stands out to me above all all else. Well, that's one. Yeah, that wasn't the one I was thinking, but that's absolutely correct. Yeah, they brag. They they brag. They they boast about themselves. I, I would say that this one I haven't heard yet. They're presumptuous, right? What are they presuming upon? Yeah, they're pre they're presumptuous of their success. But they're ultimately they're presumptuous of what? There you go. They're presumptuous of the future. They're presumptuous of tomorrow. They they presume that tomorrow will be as they've planned for it to be. They presume that tomorrow will be as they've hoped it will be. And they live their lives under the presumption that they are going to have tomorrow. And so what happens is that statement really says a lot about their whole perspective on life, and you've given, you've given a lot of insight on that. They have a philosophy. They have a governing principle. Whether it's conscious or subconscious, they have a, a belief system that, that um, causes them to act the way they do or make that statement. And so he, he calls their attention. There's a, there's a call to attention. There's this group of people identified and then there's a question that's put forward to them. And that's obviously the subject of the, 
uh, and I think probably the most the, the the most poignant part of the text is that question that is that is asked to them. He says, verse fourteen: Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, he makes it. He says, you don't know what tomorrow will be, and then he says he asks the question, the rhetorical question. He says, what is your life? It's interesting if you study the. The, the Greek behind that question, what, it's the idea of what kind, what kind. In other words, what kind of a thing, what kind of a thing is your life? And it almost takes a person, and it almost takes a person out of the equation for a minute, as if you could look at yourself for a moment objectively. It's almost the the Holy Spirit's trying to get us to step outside of, because we just live our lives, right? We just experience our lives. But it's almost as if he pulls us out of it and we could look at it. Who did, what, what novel does that remind us of? Anybody? Think Christmas time. Yeah, Charles Dickens, The Christmas Carol, where Ebenezer Scrooge is really asked that question, right? In a way, and not in those words, but what is your life? And, and Dickens pulls him in a, in, a, in a ghostly experience, pulls him out and allows him to watch his life. And the question really is there, what kind of a thing is your life? What is the substance of it? How do you describe it? It's as if he's saying, uh, have you never considered this? Are you going to run like the, the hamster on the wheel without ever considering what the end of it all will be? I think we've been challenged really with this this um, period in the last two years with COVID. I think it's made a lot of people stop and think about the uncertainty of life and the and the brevity of life and how things can change in life ever so quickly. And, and really a, a warning to us to, to stop and say, wait, maybe some things aren't in our control as much as we think they are. And so these people have a completely skewed perspective on life, and they're brought with this powerful conviction about, well, what are the realities? So in these verses, I just want to show you four realities that you'll find here, uh, four realities of life, if you, if you take notes, um, that we all should be aware of that this passage teaches us about. And this was already, this was already mentioned, but look back at verse number 13. Go to now, go to now, ye that say, tomorrow, today, tomorrow, we will go into such city and continue there a year, buy and sell and get gain. Now look down at verse number 16. But now, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. I think something we all, Christian or or non-Christian, everybody needs to realize, first of all, well, scripture teach us, teaches us, no matter who we are, every life, every one of our lives is plagued by pride. It's there in each and every one of us, that, that idea of pride. Notice there's a, there's, a few, uh, there's a few things here that point us to the, really where these people's pride is manifested. Look at verse number, look at the verse again, verse number 13. The, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow what? We will. 
Now, interestingly, what is the statement that what is the statement that he tells them they should instead of we will, they should replace it with what? Yeah, it, not if we will, but if the Lord wills. If not if we will, but if the Lord wills. And it's a great habit for for Christians even just to use that. Sometimes we say it even without thinking a lot about, about it, but Lord willing, Lord willing. And, and that's a good, even if we just say it kind of habitually, I think that's, that is a good habit in and of itself. Say, Lord willing, we'll, we'll do this. He says, that's what you should say. But he's going deeper than just a casual statement. Well, Lord willing, I think he's going obviously to the core of the person's heart. And to say, what is your what is your attitude toward life? Are you obsessed? What what they are here is they are they are obsessed with their own activities. Boy, do you ever get that way? I know I am. Right? It's like there's so many things that we've got to line up in our lives. It's this this balance be- between you know to 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 stop and. Um, you know, we get a, you get a prayer alert. And if you don't get the, the text alerts for prayer requests, if you're not on that list, let me know and I'll, I'll make sure you get added to that list. I haven't, I haven't said that, but, you know, just uh, Trina's friend, Carolyn, you know, you get a, a, you're in the middle of your day and you get an alert that's, or the middle of your evening, you get an alert that says, hey, pray for this person. They just, they, they suffered a major heart attack. And you stop and you realize, wow, you know, if that, that in my life, what, what, what were you doing at that? What are you doing at that moment? You know, what are you, con- what are you concerned about? And probably, and there's nothing sinful about it, but you're just going about your activities. You're just doing the next busy thing on your schedule. You're just fill, fill in the next moment that you have to fill. Whereas we're supposed to live with a faithful expectation that the Lord can interrupt our plans at any minute. And that it's God's will that has to reign supreme. And that when interruptions come, when changes come to our plans, it's okay because it, it's not us, it's God. I'm reminded of Paul in one of the epistles, I think it may have been Philippians, or, but I, I might have that wrong. But Paul talked about all the things that had happened to him. And he said that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. And when he said that, he's talking about things that changed his plans, things that affected what he thought he was going to do, things that he would not have chosen to bring into his life. They come into his life, and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Paul is able to say, you know what? All those things that happened, I've learned that they were used by God so that his calling on my life could be fulfilled. So he warns us now, he warns the people that can be obsessed with their own activities. And I tell you, one of the things that has, that has, I think, highlighted this is the social media generation that we're in. So that you can see, you see news and events and happenings in real time. I mean, just, you can pick up the phone and you go from somebody's picture of the sandwich that they just ate to some tragedy that you need to pray for, to some political thing that's happened, to this, to this, to this. Do you think that that numbs us a little bit at times? Right? And so when you stop and say, well, what is our life? Have I become obsessed with myself? Have I become obsessed with my activities? 
But not only that, not only that self-obsession revealed, but they're obviously obsessed with materialism. And some of you already mentioned that. We're going to buy. We're going to sell. But it's not only what they want. It's not just what they want. But look at verse 13 again, and maybe you could, you could finish this. They don't just want, they're not just concerned with what they want, but with when. Right? You see the when in that in, in verse number 13 in their statement? It's not just what they're going to do, but they say, oh yeah, well, next year about this time we'll be here, and about this year we'll be there. Now, is this telling us that we shouldn't plan? No, of course not. But our plans come under the providence and the, and the humility of God. But not only, not only do we know what we want and do what we want, but we're going to do it when we want. And then in verse number, verse number 16, this is, interesting. this is an interesting verse. But now you rejoice in your boastings. What does that mean? You rejoice in your boastings. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Right. It's not just that you're, it's just, it's, not only are you prideful, but you're, your pride is a, is a source of your joy and self-fulfillment. So that you see that whole, you know, not only is this a boastful person, but this is a person who's excited about how, how prideful they are. And he says here, such rejoicing is evil. I think that's something that we should also be aware of and on guard against. And you see that, in, and I think even sometimes the church and and Christians can get pulled into this as we see, you know, popular political figures or whatever, just um, be, just the, the boastfulness that's out there and, and media personalities. And, and it, it's people just impressed with themselves. A lot of people impressed with themselves. He said he was, um, well, I'll move on from that. So every life, there's a principle here, and what we should be on guard about is we think, what is our life? What is the substance of our life? When, the, when it's all said and done, when we want to look back, are we on guard against this plague of pride? But secondly, if you look at verse number 14, if you look at verse number 14, every life is marked by uncertainty. Every life is marked by uncertainty. He says, verse 14, whereas you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. It's beyond our knowledge, beyond our planning, and beyond our preparation. You can buy insurance for everything, right? Life insurance, health insurance, automobile insurance, homeowners insurance, renters insurance, fire insurance, flood insurance, pet insurance. Did you know that was a thing now? Yeah, pet insurance. You can insure your pets. You can get insurance for your cell phone. You can get insurance just, just about for anything else. Um, but it's amazing how, how people can have all of their financial things insured, but take very little time to care about the insurance of their soul and the security of their soul. And that's not just for the unbeliever. That's for the Christian that 
Paul would write, you, you, you realize, don't you, that we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ? That we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ? He says, you don't know, you, you know not what shall be. Not what might be or what could be, but you, know, you don't know what shall be on the morrow, right? That, there's a, that, that there is a tomorrow that is beyond our control, things that we, we cannot stop. Now, the, the, the point here isn't to make us depressed. It's not to make us fearful or worrisome about tomorrow because the Lord holds tomorrow. And he, Jesus said, don't take thought for tomorrow. The, tomorrow will take care of the things of itself. But it is teaching us this. It is teaching us to not live presumptuously about our plans. Don't presume upon that, it, the certainty, because every, every life is, is marked by uncertainty. That's why only what we do, all we have for the Lord is today. This was a, this was a powerful lesson for me. And I remember this, it wasn't just one person that would say it, but when I was a college student, We'd have pastors that would come through and say, hey, you're planning for the future. You're planning to serve God tomorrow. You're planning to do this for God tomorrow. But what if God didn't plan to give you tomorrow, right? What if he just planned to give you today? So this time of preparation, let it also be a time of service and, and activity for the Lord. There's so many people that say, well, when I get this lined up in my life, then I'm going to get involved in this. Listen, if the judgment seat of Christ was tomorrow, if the judgment of seat of Christ was tomorrow, it won't matter what you planned to do for the Lord or how much you planned to give to missions or how, how, how you planned to talk to that person about Christ. None of that will matter. We can't be presumptuous about tomorrow. Again, this should not be a de depressing thought. That should be a thought that motivates us to make the most of every moment that we have. It really, for Christians, it, it, it should not make us a pessimistic people. It should make us people that pour into our that pour into our families the very most, because we understand that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. It should make us pour into our church as much as we can, to pour into the plan and the purpose of God as much as we can, to fill every day, to live every day to its fullest. I remember this, um, this past year, I would listen, uh, not, not, I, I didn't every day, but occasionally I would turn on the radio dial around lunchtime and listen to Rush Limbaugh. And he was literally on his radio show, terminally ill with cancer. Now, if you don't know, his brother David is a, um, his brother David is a very committed Christian, uh, Christian author, travels and speaks. And, um, but anyway, I would listen to Rush Limbaugh get on and everyone knew, and he's doing his radio show, and everyone knew that he was going to die sometime in the next few days. And he was reminding his listeners that, listen, that nobody's guaranteed of tomorrow. And he was saying things like he wasn't going to go and just stay in his house and, and, and hold out to the end. He was going to live every day that he had left to its fullest. And it just reminded us and anybody listening to say, you know what? That's how we ought to live every single day. So just think about that. What if the judgment seat was tonight? Every life is marked by uncertainty. 
So now, we're, first of all, every life can be plagued by pride. Every life has, uh, is marked by uncertainty. And thirdly, every life is surprisingly short. I don't have to tell anybody that in this room. He says, what is your life? Well, it's this, it's this, it's this. And he says, well, let me tell you what it is. It's a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. I'm reminded of Psalm 39 and verse number four. Psalm 39 and verse four. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days. What it is that I may know how frail I am. But then, so that's a verse, that, that, that's a psalm that David said about humility. Help me to know the measure. Help me to know the, dis, the, the, the length of my days to think about that. So first of all, it keeps me humble. I know that I'm frail. I shouldn't think too greatly of myself. But then he gives a, a similar verse is given in Psalm 90. So teach us to, anybody know what it says next? To number our days. And this was, is so that we can apply our hearts unto wisdom, unto wisdom. Vanisheth away. In the Greek, it's literally, that whole vanisheth away could be literally translated vanishing as it came, right? And I thought that's a great word picture there. Vanishing as it came. So there it is. And as soon as you, as soon as you grasp and understand what it is that you're looking at, what happens? It's gone. Just as your mind says, oh, look at the mist. And isn't that true of life? It's like we go from childhood. In childhood, we're what? We're completely unaware of our existence, right? We're completely unaware of our own existence in a lot of ways. We're just, and then as soon as we start to figure out what life really is, we realize that it's, it's oh, vanishing, vanishing away. Now, as a believer, obviously we know we have the hope of eternity that, that life is eternal, that it's just temporal life that's a vapor. And again, as the, as the quote says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that person is in the presence of the Lord now. And they're rejoicing they're rejoicing that they live with that motto, that their life is short and they would live for Christ. And that's why we come to the fourth and final motivation here, the fourth and, or the, the fourth and final principle, which is really our motivation, and that is this. So we saw every life is plagued by pride. It's marked by uncertainty. It's thirdly, surprisingly short. But I love this. The end, every life is created for a calling. There's a calling. There's a purpose. There's a purpose for not just your life, but there's a purpose for the day. There's a purpose for the hour. There's a purpose for the moment. And that's why it says here that what you should say is, if the Lord wills. We should be a people that are obsessed with, with knowing and doing the will of God. Like, God, how, what would you have me do with this time? What would you have me do with this purpose? Can you imagine if, you, you woke up in the morning, you woke up in the morning and you had a, all of a sudden you stopped and you heard the voice of God speaking to you and you audibly heard God say, I would like you to do 
the following today, what would you do? I mean, you'd stop. And everything that you had planned that day would, 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 would go to the side and you'd say, I'm on a mission. I've got to get this accomplished. If, if, if God said, it's just like in, um, was it, who, who's the guy that went and recovered uh, and healed Saul's sight? Um, was it Ananias, the first Ananias? Where God said, go see Saul. And he's blind, you know, and, and Saul, but Paul before he's Saul, who's going to become Paul. So what happened to him? Huh? I thought his name was Ananias. I, I just went blank right now. Um, somebody's going to look it up because it's going to, going to drive me nuts. It's going to be in Acts chapter 9. No, that's, that's a different one, though, but I think there's another. I know. You think I'm right? His name is Ananias. There's two. There's a, there's a lot of Ananiases. Um, there's two in the book of Acts, though. Da -da -dum. It's going to be in like chapter 9, right? Yeah. Yeah, Ananias. And the story is that Ananias is minding his own business, and God says to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, here am I, Lord. Here I am. And God said, I want you to go see Saul. And he's like, I heard him. Don't think I want to see him. But he's like, no, you need to go. I've got a plan. So at that moment in time, do you think Ananias was like, okay, we need to stop and get a hamburger first? You know, or, but wait, I need to go. I got I to gotta make a pit stop at the pharmacy, pick up my prescription, then I'm going to head out. Or I got to run to the grocery store. What do you think he did in that moment? I mean, he heard the voice of God. And he had a mission from God that was, that was going to change somebody's life. It was going to change the life of, of millions of people. And at that moment, he hears the voice of God, and he knows God's will, and he does it. I get, my only point is this, that if the Lord wills, the fact is this, the Lord does will actions for our lives and activity for our lives. And the mission that God calls us to is, is, is literally going to make an eternal impact. So in this short bit of time, we as believers can be involved in the most productive and the most supernatural activity of anyone in the world. And that's why I think we ought to, I'm not, I'm not very good at this, but when our days get interrupted, when our days get interrupted, those in some ways, we should, we, those are flat tires, for instance, Right? Now, it could be that you just aren't taking care of your tires and that was, you know, your own foolishness, right? But, but, but those little interruptions where it has nothing to do with us, God is doing that. God is in that. And sometimes, is it possible that we miss what God is trying to teach us because we're like, this wasn't what I had planned. I didn't think this was supposed to go this way, right? Isn't that how we react most of the time? Yeah, it's how we react. But, it but in that moment, God changed his plan for our day. It was Billy Graham, I think, was said that he would um, get a call. Somebody would call and he'd answer the phone and they'd say, wrong number. How many heard this story before? They're like, oh, no, this isn't who I, you know, is John there? No, this is Billy. <laughs> and, uh, right? And, uh, oh, I, I've got the wrong number. It was said, and I have to verify the story, but it was said that he would always try to keep the person on the phone and say, well, I believe you called me for a reason and share the gospel with that person. And whatever you think of Billy Graham and his ministry, you know, at that moment, I think he's recognizing 
that in what we consider inconvenience or misfortunes or whatever, it could be that the, that the hand of God is moving in our lives. But we're not really focused often on His will. We're focused on our will. But God has a will for us. And God arranges circumstances. And God has a, a purpose for every person. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, we're introduced to Jeremiah. God's, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God had a plan for his life. There are people, and this was given to us on Sunday. I forget who said it. It was either Ken Fielder or my dad at the end of the message. I don't remember who, but they made the statement that you know, there are people, there are people that only you are able to reach with the gospel. There are people that only you are going to be able to reach with the gospel. And part of the purpose for your life is reaching those, those individuals. And though our life is brief, it can be powerful. We were, Deborah and I took a trip the other day down um, to Stockbridge for an afternoon and looked at the, uh, the Stockbridge mission which is still there, which you can see. And you realize, I realized that David Brainerd, uh, David Brainerd wandered those wooded frontier trails. Isn't it funny to think that the Berkshires was the frontier of the day back in the mid-1700s? Like, this is frontier country. And they, they would send missionaries. And David Brainerd was a 20-something-year-old 20, 20 missionary who went to the Indians in West Stockbridge, and was a missionary to the Indians here in West Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And he died of tuberculosis at 29 years old. But he had an eternal impact with just a short amount of time, just a few short years that he lived. The average life expectancy when Judson and when those who followed the early days of American missions, the average life expectancy was 10 years. Yeah. When you went, when you left the, when they, when they, when those missionaries said good farewell and those boats left Boston Harbor to go across the world, they expected never to see their loved ones again, and they knew that they, within a decade, most of them would be dead. And they, they were, they were not resigned to that. They were joyful about that, because. They understood the principle. What is your life? It's a vapor, right? What's the difference between a vapor that lasts a millisecond longer than another vapor, <laughs> right? Because in the grand scheme of our, I did this a few weeks ago, and I forget when, but you know, if, this, if this, the width of this room represents eternity, which it can't, we understand that, it would have to go around and around forever. But if it did, our life would be microscopic on the scale. And so... And then the difference between 70 years and 50 years or 80 years and 20 years even would be so, so much less significant. Again, this should not depress us. If it depresses us, it's because we're missing the point of the glory of life. That in such an insignificant amount of time, we can have an eternal significance. People see a young person die and often they'll say, oh, that's a life wasted or a life cut short. Well, God knew the impact that life would have. 
Even as even in the sorrow and the in the greatest the great tragedy of of young children that unexpectedly die. But God had a purpose for that life. And that life made an impact. Because all of life is sacred, and and I'm kind of on a a tangent now, but but you understand what I'm saying. We we think in human terms in our scale of economy, but but in the in the scope of eternity, it, it it makes very little difference whether one dies in infancy or at 100 years old. Because it's not the length of life that is significant. It's the fact of life, the existence of life that is significant. That every life is created for... And that's why as believers, we, we stand for the dignity of life, all life, from conception to the final days. That's why, by the way, and I know and, and this is a real tangent, but it's something you should think about. Because every person, and and this is something that previous generations didn't have to deal with as much. People got sick and they died, right? Whereas at this point, we people stay alive longer, and at the very end, they think about you know the the end of life. And there's a whole movement to when when people get to a certain stage. There's a whole movement. Well, why don't we just give them a pill so that they can die, right? Now, if you've been with when you sometimes you can shake your head at that, but then. If you've been with somebody that's suffering, you can kind of understand where that thinking is com- coming from, can't you? I mean, you can say, well, this person is suffering so much, and, and we could have a painless way for them to end their life. And, and it's like, well, what would really be, long, be wrong with that? Right. It's because life is sacred. And, what, and sacred means who possesses that life? Who is the owner of that life? Not me. I don't own my own life. Life was given by the Lord. And that's what, this, what it means that life is sacred. We do not know. We do not know what God even does in the heart and consciousness of a person who cannot speak or hear. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, like, you don't know. If somebody, for instance, somebody may have heard the gospel. My, my grandmother died a couple of years ago. We're coming up on now. And she never, to my knowledge, made any profession of faith. I know. She never professed Christ. Even to the end, she did not want to talk about God or, or anything at the very end of her life. But you do not know. She's heard, she heard the word of God her whole life. You don't know. Do you, how many believe God is merciful? Right? You do not know how God works in the mind of a person who cannot communicate with you at the very end. I'm just saying, in our scientific world, we think we've got life and death all figured out. But we don't. Only God knows. All right. Yeah, it's a very good point. That's a, a very good point. So, and we could do a whole talk on, on that because there's, there's more that could be said, but, but it's something that we should think about as Christians. And don't just, don't just view death and life the way, what, because certain things become cultural norms, right? They become cultural norms, but they're not necessarily biblical. And though life is brief, it can be powerful, and every moment of life can have great significance. The will of God, what the Lord wills. And though life can bring unexpected hardships, they are, the hardships are purposeful. 
And the idea that God actively, even God actively uses suffering to give a greater weight of glory to us. That's more that we could that we could talk about. But how about this summarizing statement? The governing principle of my life. God knows best. God loves best. And God's will is best in all. Go to now. Ye that say today or tomorrow, we will, we will, we will, we will. Your life is a vapor. You ought to say, if the Lord will. And in that final instruction, and if you know that you could be doing something with this life that you have for the glory of God, and you don't do it, oh, it's a great sin. It's a great sin. Live for Him every moment, every hour, every day, make it count for His glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we do love You, and Lord, we thank You that though we don't know what Your providence has in store for us, I pray that we would trust You and walk boldly and and expectantly and faithfully. We don't know your plan for our life, for our families, for our children and grandchildren. We don't know, but, but we know that you are good and that your plan is good when we do understand it and when we don't. And so, Lord, I just pray for, um, for your children, this church and, and, and believers, Lord, worldwide, that we would see your hand in our lives that we would, we would see to make decisions that are of eternal significance. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.